talking about mayonnaise today or are we we're going to talk about mayonnaise we're with ariel ehrlich i think i said that right right yep absolutely okay comedian uh, rodeo doctor uh mayonnaise hater <laughs> yeah that's true why is yeah, seattle's full of mayonnaise haters <laughs> <laughs> that's what they say yeah how do you just, feel about an aioli aioli i'm not fooled yeah still it's a, 95% it, mayonnaise. It's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just mayonnaise. Yeah. But you can fool some supposed mayonnaise haters by calling it an aioli and mixing a little garlic in there. Yeah, you can. But, you know, that's not going to work here. Okay. So just, yeah, letting you know that. What, what's what's the, the genesis? The genesis. Of your hatred? I don't think... I think for... Mayonnaise for, is my most commonly used condiment. Is it really? Yeah, that's I, disappointing. I, I love it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's upsetting for some reason. What? What do you? Okay, I get. I understand burgers. I, 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 you know, I've read about using an egg salad and potato salad. No, no, just like potatoes, oh. any form, any form of potatoes. That's, that's. I would rather not have known that. That is deeply upsetting. <laughs> I think for those of us, and you know, we number in the tens of millions. Um, who dislike mayonnaise is more of a gut feeling type of thing. For sure. Yeah. It's just wrong. Interesting. Yeah. I and I I, I think that's not gonna change at this point. Eh? But I, it's okay. not like I, yeah, I, I hate would, people I who, who I wouldn't like it. I ask you to change that, but you know, it's just uh, What about like a, like a vegan mayonnaise substitute? Is that is just that a textural? That is acceptable. Oh, that's oh, acceptable. That's acceptable. Yeah. It's not huh. a textural thing. Yeah. Okay. I, I was pretty floored when I learned that mayonnaise had no dairy in it. Yeah. And that it was eggs and oil. Like yeah. that kind of like... Eggs and vinegar. Yucked my yum a little bit. <laughs> but now now I can now I can cope. I can cope with Oof, I love mayonnaise. It. Got it. I remember I, I, um, I picked up Alice Walker's cookbook. Um, just, you know, I was, heard it was supposed to be good. And... I remember I just opened it to just a random page and step one was uh, whip up a mayonnaise. And then I just closed the book after that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not familiar with Alice Walker. And uh, wa- excuse me, Waters, Alice Waters, slow food. Oh yeah. That one. I've heard okay. about that. Yeah. Wash your lettuce leaves three times. Yeah. I've never made a mayonnaise. Maybe I should. It's pretty easy. <sighs> well, yeah, don't, it's pretty easy. don't do it while I'm here, man. Okay. <laughs> I, I am in the process of reseasoning a cast iron as we speak, though. It's got about half an hour left in the 500 degree oven. That's uh, that involves use mayonnaise for that. No, no mayonnaise, no mayonnaise in that. Just avocado oil. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, are there are there condiments that you are favorable to? Well, I'm never going to be mad at ketchup. Okay. Hot sauce, I will put on anything. Any particular? How how do you rank your hot sauce? You got any favorites? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, gosh. Where, where's green stand on your ranking? Oh, I like green. Yeah, I like green, too. Um, I know this is a rather juvenile, but I do it by the color of the label. Um, 
so like what's it maria d something i can't think of it, it it's a really big it's really big in south america and i can't think of the name of it but honestly i i pick out hot sauces like a child i mean it you know Based on label. Based, Based on, on labels. Label. That's why yeah. they look on wine. It's it's not cool. Um It is cool. That's that's the that's that is how eighty percent of wine and hot sauce are sold or label alone. Yeah. I bought that's, one just because it had a donkey on it one time. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Best hot sauce I've ever had. Do you know what I like? I like the beer labels. Those are getting wild. They're really doing awesome things with it. Yeah. That's the forefront of uh it used to be T shirts. Whereas uh, the American canvas, but now it's it's uh, craft beer cans. They are they're beautiful. I have to say, pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I don't know much use for the beer, but the cans are gorgeous. Are you a beer can collector? Is your home just stacked really, with beer cans? I'm not an anything collector. Me either. I, you know what? To to the point, I don't yeah. even like collectors. Honestly, <laughs> they stress me out. Like I, I I watch some TikToks of people who collect things, and oh. those are kind of enjoyable, uh, like '80s toys and stuff. But I'm like, you're a 45 year old man, and you have a room in your house dedicated to like toy. I don't know. It's it, just it's, it's a hop, skip, and a jump away from hoarding. Yeah, you know, it's like what are you going to do with all that stuff? Right. You're going to die, and then your kids are going to have to like, like a metric go through it, garbage, see yeah. that it's not worth anything on yeah. eBay, yeah. and then because you all know, the millennials are uh, dead. they're bagging up like a metric ton of He-Man right. action figures. <laughs> right, a successful collector ends up being a hoarder. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you either if you collect, you either have to stop at some point and give up, or you have to hoard. Right. It's it's a process rather than an endpoint. I think if you're, a, I think a good collector should cull their herd from time to time and just like you know, get rid of old stuff and make maybe the you know art is defined by its uh, constraints and so maybe well said maybe you uh, dedicate a singular space to your collection and once you meet the maximum of that you're like well I either have to get rid of stuff or I'm done and so you know you you. Limit your size. That's the most uh, dystopian future toy story. Is some collector's hoard just brought to a landfill, <laughs> <laughs> never decomposing. Those toys are still sentient under there. Can I say that is exactly what disturbs me about Toy Story? Yeah. Yeah. Just this thought of like the locked in this immortal figure, like not able to die, just like the hunger. Sure. Have you seen that movie? The Hunger? With the David Bowie. Does he have to be driven at like 70, like 65 miles an hour west? Or he'll... I think you're thinking of speed. <laughs> There's some movie with David Bowie where he's like laying in the backseat of a car and he has to be traveling west at a certain speed. Or otherwise, he will uh, be in excruciating pain. I haven't seen that movie, but it sounds like something David Bowie would be a part of. Right. You can only go west so far. You can only go west so far. Yeah, it, I know. What happens when he goes east? I think it hurts. Oof. That sucks. That's like, that's a, a lot of my favorite restaurants are east of here, man. That wouldn't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how, and then you hit the ocean eventually, and you can't right? go on the ocean at 60 miles You an need hour. like a speedboat. Yeah, and you're not going to do that. Yeah. Jet skiing is probably his. And that's not even uh, close. Or like to, water skiing. That's not even close to sixty. That's like maybe twenty five. 
but it's still pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, like the fun would counterbalance the 45 miles per Maybe. hour of pain. To your point, no, I haven't seen The Hunger. Is that a David Bowie uh, vampire movie? It is. Okay. I've heard of it. I have heard of it. Yeah. And so he's just an immortal being who can't die. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, and he's always hungry. Yeah. You know, like Woody and Buzz. Right. Yeah. Except they're not hungry. They they're they, hungry for a child's love. They That's lack true. the carnal needs of flesh. You know, they don't need uh, a mate. They just need friendship, and that's it. They don't need food. Well, no. It, it, throughout the series, they kind of lament. They're like, "Oh, I'm not getting played with." That uh, that is like their need. That's not getting fucked. Yeah, yeah like not getting fucked, not getting fooded. <clears throat> yeah, uh, you know, because. Toy Story 1, you remember it. Woody gets, or uh, Andy the boy, Woody was his favorite, but then he gets Buzz. Right. And Buzz is his favorite. And then Woody's like, oh, man. Are the toys in Toy Story then perhaps uh, tulpas? And the less energy you give them, the less uh, sentience and power they have. No, it, it, it seemed more like a lonely thing, because even the neglected toys. Still were the, k- kicking around. Yeah, yeah, they were still kicking around. I just came across that word like two days ago. Really? Yeah, in a William Gibson novel. I don't know who that is. Oh, they had a. It was is about. That, did you write Hyperion? Is that him? No, no. Um, he did a Neuromancer. Oh, that's right. And a lot of others. He was a company that called Tulpagenesis that makes AI. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. It's good. All this stuff is good. What's this book about? Oh, it was. Um, it was about a. Um, a bunch of people who come back to uh, an earlier, a different alternate reality of the earth and stuff happens. And in general, I I tend to read books these days where I don't really have to worry about the plot that much. Okay. Because most of my concentration is reserved for the other things that I'm doing. Yeah. So, um, honestly, I... So what are you looking for in these books? Action? I, I look for good writing... Um, and interesting ideas. Okay. And something to sort of calm down my head. There you go. So um, Agatha Christie's good because I don't care about any of her characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, sci-fi is good, usually for the same reason. Um, what kind of sci-fi do you like? Oh, I like the kind where, uh, like I like William Gibson just because he, um, I actually met him once and he was just a really neat guy. He has amazing fun ideas and um, his characterization tends to be kind of flat. But I actually enjoy books that I don't care about the characters very much because otherwise I get overly anxious for them. Okay. Because you know something bad's going to happen to him. That seems to be what happens in books and yeah. movies. And I just, that's a little too much for me. I'm a, I'm a lightweight in terms of narrative. You're yeah. an empathetic person. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, if I'm watching something with uh, with my daughter, she'll she'll have to stop it periodically and pause it and say, you know, they're just characters. <laughs> <laughs> Anything in particular that uh, that would be true for, like characters you felt particularly attached to? Oh sure. Um, oh gosh, like uh, um, there are some gorgeously written uh, young adult books. Yeah, my daughter and I have sort of a mom or daughter book club. Twilight? Uh, not Twilight. <laughs> uh, she has much better taste than me. Like The Hate You Give, uh, Wonder, um, 
just really uh, amazing books with great characters. And I just, I, you know, I, I appreciate them, but they're very stressful for me to read, especially anything involving uh, young people, because I worry about them. Mm. Um, and yet, you're a rodeo doctor. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I have that feeling, but only with like, Stories involving animals. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, a rodeo would be even more stressful for me. I, I, I get that. It's and, like, I, what's going to happen to this Bronco? Yeah. Truthfully, I haven't done rodeo in, in Perhaps years. I'm a monster, but I've never felt compelled to care about a character in any... I've never. If, if, there's never bothered me that a, a, a fake yeah. person or animal... Well, you're definitely well, a we, monster, but not for that reason. Yeah. yeah, it's because of the mayonnaise. Okay. Mayonnaise monster, yeah. yeah. monster God knows what's in that fridge, man. There is about a half a jar of mayonnaise in Ugh. there. And yeah, well, where's the other half? <laughs> You're looking at it. <laughs> mayonnaise tulpa. Yeah. I mean, you are what you eat, so there's a percentage of me that is mayonnaise. <sighs> I'm this sorry. is just getting worse and worse. <laughs> she never would have come. I'm just breaking out in a cold sweat, man. She was in a, she was in a room with a mayonnaise avatar. <laughs> A mayonnaise golem. <laughs> <laughs> a real hell man's. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. So how, what is being a rodeo doctor in, what's the backstory in this and what does that mean? Oh, you know, this was, this was years ago. Oh, you're uh, not a rodeo doctor anymore. Not anymore. No. Oh, okay. No, I'm, I'm now just a, a run of the mill traveling doc. Okay. Just family practice. And I got into that because, um, I was rather an anxious child, and I felt that it would be important to have a job that no matter if society collapsed, I would still have a you know, skill that I could use in exchange for canned goods. Yeah, absolutely. for sure, for yeah. sure. And then the Dr. Ro- Quinn, medicine woman. How Absol- did, absolutely. How did that play uh, have an effect on you? Um, I just I had an opportunity to, to go um, – uh, you know, different places as a as a traveling provider and as a student. So I, um, they had a, a rodeo in Kuma, which is south of Australia. So, no, south of Australia, south of Sydney. Um, and uh, uh, so I went there, and the people there are super amazing. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm more of a carer rather than an adventurer, unfortunately, for better or for worse. Um, are you from Australia? No, I'm from uh, Alabama and Georgia. Okay, okay. That's like the Australia of America. Thank you. It actually is in the same spot. Yeah. Yeah. Southern? Southeast was uh, where it was in both places. They got weird accents. Thank you, yeah. They probably hurt themselves with livestock a lot. That's true. So you've got a lot of, you know, transferable experience. Unusual meat products. Going from Alabama and Georgia to... uh, Australia. This is all true. Yeah. So, what, what what kind of stuff would you usually see at the rodeo? A lot of contusions. A lot of contusions. All the contusions. Oh yeah. How uh, old are you at the rodeo? Oh gosh, I was in my twenties. Okay. Then. Yeah. So. Yeehaw. Yeah. Right. Um, Fresh out of med school. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and you know, head lacerations. A lot mm-hmm, of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how is an Australian rodeo different than an American rodeo? Well, they're on kangaroos, obviously, yeah. and, and ostriches, right? Or emus, I suppose. Um, they they have meat pies. 
I've yeah. had I've, I've spent some time in Australia. The Australian meat pie is uh, quite delicious. Oh God! Not a fan. Not a fan. Because of mayonnaise. It, well, yeah, how do you feel about Vegemite? <laughs> <laughs> I would eat Vegemite. Okay. Before mayonnaise. Interesting. Without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, ten to one, easily. Um, yeah, but usually they, if it wasn't something that they were bleeding from or unconscious, they, they wouldn't come in. So it was a pretty easy population. Yeah, because they're tough. They are tough. They're tough guys. They're tough guys. How long did you do that for? Oh, you know, not terribly long because I, I had to come back to the U.S. and, mm. yeah, start my real life. So. so here we are. Here we are. Uh, so rodeo doctor, regular doctor. Uh, yeah, right now, yeah, and then um, and I write some too, but I think a lot of a lot of comedians do. Yeah, what kind of what kind of stuff do you write? Um, I like science fiction. Okay, uh, on brand. On brand, and I like comedy. Um, You're writing course. science fiction. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually got into comedy initially because I had to pitch us a um, a comedy, and if you pitch a comedy, you must make people laugh. Right. Absolutely. That's, yeah. yeah. So I practiced that. That's when I started to get involved with Comedy Underground mm-hmm. um, to be able to do that. And it, it ended up me um, being in a contest at the Austin. Um, and I, I did well only because, I mean, it was not because of the script. It was because I was the only writer who knew how to, you know, use a microphone. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually uh, writers are not, you know, they're very introverted. Sure. Right, and so just being willing to get on stage is a huge boon. Yeah, she was the only contestant that didn't have a panic attack, so. (laughs) That's right. She squeaked it out. Have you published anything? Um, uh, Have I published anything? I'm now turning one of the screenplays into a book just because. Okay. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'm working on that. Um, But um, to date... Nothing I've really done has been made except for like shorts and stuff like that. You know, like little, like small skits and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, corporate stuff. So nothing. (laughs) One of the reasons I do comedy is it feels good to actually do something that people see. Yeah. (laughs) Rather than waiting for people to say yes to you. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're not brand new to stand-up comedy then? Because I've I've just started seeing you around... Yeah. But you've got some experience before that, is what you're saying. Um, yeah, and then I, you know, during COVID, it was very... Yeah, I guess nobody was really doing anything. Yeah. So I, I don't know how to... And I, I didn't really start hitting it three to four nights a week until this year, so... Okay, okay. And you uh, you live out in Bremerton, is that right? Um, north of there, yeah. North of there. Is there uh, any sort of comedy scene in Bremerton to speak of? Oh, yeah. There's, there's a whole group. There's Dog Days, there's Remedy. Um, Kitsap uh, Comedy, Joseph Rogers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeehaw. Absolutely. And then they have, uh, it's not, they're not too far from Tacoma. It's a little south for me, but they it's a great group of people. Excellent. Yeah. I was just with Joseph Rogers last night. Oh, really? Where? Yeah. Uh, Port Townsend at the the Manresa Castle. Cool. Yeah, did, got... did they have an open mic scene up there? Oh, no. It was a... I'm, a, I'm a semi-pro, Ariel. All That's right? awesome. So, you know, I got, I got 
money to go up there and go do that. Uh, you got to sleep in the castle. I did not. I found I <laughs> what? I found out that they didn't throw you in the dungeon for the night. I tried. I know. Uh, they put have in, a, put them in the Iron Maiden. It it had a nice little restaurant. Uh, I had some very delicious uh, fried Brussels sprouts with an aioli and uh, so typical and peanut butter shrimp. Uh, kind of like a, a Thai shrimp kind of thing. And that was really good. It was a cute little restaurant hotel area. Uh, fun little bars and stuff. Cute and little town. Yeah, it was Port nice. Thousand is an unbearably cute town. Incidentally, it must be hell to clean an Iron Maiden. Oh, they don't I don't, even, I don't think you have to that. clean them. <laughs> well, they're, just hose them down. If you don't clean you your Iron Maiden, they're going to not work as well. They're, they're not going to close as well. You just got to get the bodies out. So the person in the Iron Maiden, you don't really care what they think. Oh, got it. Well, and like, the it, Dungeon Keepers have a shitty union. You can clo- like, you can make it closed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think those those things are ex- are not cheap. They're not. Y- you don't want to like get stuff in the hinges, and then you have to know. That's the only part that needs maintenance, though. Yeah, is the, the hinges. hinges. Is the hinges. And those, it, are, those are probably just standard door hinges. You can probably probably pop those on and off really easily. Grease them up as needed. <laughs> If it's horribly <laughs> fetid inside, that just increases the effectiveness of the maiden. Right. I Have you I ever have... seen any, a, a real Iron Maiden? Probably. I, you know, I don't know. In my European adventures, I would go to all the medieval torture museums I could find. And of course. They, yeah. uh, it was just crazy being like, that's a real Iron Maiden. Like That's like from 1538, and that's a real Iron Maiden. Yeah, they like, really built them in those days. Yeah, yeah, like they really used that. Like That's insane. <laughs> they really tortured people. <laughs> it's all right. More of a fan of the uh, Brass Bowl myself. That's a wild one. It's a wild one. It's pretty uh, bad. Should I ask, or should we just move on? You wouldn't like it. No. Ba- basically, it's like, so an Iron Maiden has pokey spikes in it. Yeah. A brass bowl is just like a, a hollow brass bowl that they put someone inside of. Yeah. And build a fire underneath it. Oh, I don't think I'd like that. And then no. the noises they make sounds like a bull snorting coming. Like this, it's fluted in a way to make it like the nose release the smoke that builds up in there and you can hear the guy screaming in there. They basically become barbecue. Uh, I see. I just saw this. That you got to clean out. I just saw this TikTok. That just doesn't seem like fun at all. I don't. It's a lot of work. Like so many of these old ways to kill people are just like a lot of work. I, I, I don't post a lot on TikTok, but I comment and, uh, a comment that is still going pretty strong. Uh, I watched this video of a guy describing some sort of ancient way to kill people. And it had a name. I forget the name, but it doesn't matter. But the fact that this happened more than once and they had a name for it is like (laughs) the weirdest part to me. But so you get a guy who killed either his mother and his uh, mother or father. And then you beat him with uh, red wood, red sticks for a while. And then you throw him into an ox leather bag with a snake, a dog, uh, a monkey, and maybe something else. And then you put him on the back of a cart and drive him to a body of water. And then you throw him all in the river or whatever. And like, how did this, how many times did this happen that they had a name for it? Like, that's so much. How many monkeys you got? Yeah, that hand? just sucks like, for the dog and the monkey. Right. Like, right. It's just, it seems like so preposterously unnecessary. That, that sounds like a medieval urge, urban legend. Yeah. I mean, this stuff, this sounds like something they'd like brag about. 
but yeah, no one definitely. actually did. And so I just commented, this seems expensive and complicated, and someone, like, it's got, like, 2,000 likes on that. So most people are like, what are you, like, how is this a thing? <laughs> like, there's so many other ways to kill people. Yeah, it's, it stopped being about killing people, and it was more about spectacle. Yeah. Like, yeah. so many people were getting the plague and being, like, cut down by the town guards every day, you know, just killing someone is ho-hum. Well, art supplies are also really expensive back then. That's true, that's true. Yeah, an ox leather sack, like like that seems very expensive. And you just throw it in a river, like yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, no, I, that's I, that's I, why I you that's why you use the cart. You you bring them up river. You cart them up river, uh, and then, then just, the ox you, leather bag goes down right. the river, and you recover it in the shallows. Maybe you threw a crane in there with them also. There, I think there was a bird of some sort that you throw. And I'm just like, why? Just like, and two bay leaves. Yeah, and two bay leaves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Oh, my God. So how long have you guys been doing comedy? Uh, I don't know. But I think this will be my eighth year in That's awesome, like man. October. I think yeah. October will be about eight years. I'm like five years non-consecutive. Mm-hmm. I did for uh, four years and then quit for five years. And then I've been back on the scene for a little over a year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, I, I don't miss the Zoom. I never, oh, yeah. I only did it once or twice, and it was enough. No, I never I never even used it. I did it once or twice because I was just felt really despondent, and uh, I did it, and I was like, oh. It's just right there. It's just a sword waiting to be picked up again. Like, I don't need to do Zoom. Like, it's just, it's all right there. And so I'll be fine once this kicks back in. Yeah. It's like doing a show where it's a big room and everyone is seated really far apart, except worse. And most people can't hear you because they've, you know. And it's just, I mean, it just kills the vibe. Like, uh, comedy is a magic trick. Like, you you need the people. Like... It, I don't know if you could transfer comedy to a virtual reality thing. I feel like that might get close, and then the next couple of years that might get closer. But I just don't think so. I think that there is a uh... only if there was also a two drink minimum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like drunk virtual reality is the next yeah frontier. I don't know. I I. It seems like virtual reality is not picking up as much as predicted. I mean, to, what, what's fun to me about a podcast is is people have radio for entertainment, and then they moved up to, you know, film and television, and then you know the next step would be virtual reality or holograms. But people, a lot of people seem to just decide, you know, what was cool, radio. Let's yeah. let's go back to that with a podcast. Yeah. Well, it's great because you can do a lot of other stuff. While you're listening to a podcast, it's, you know, you use your sense of hearing, but then you can like clean your house clean or work oh, out or, drive. or do anything. You know, with virtual reality, you kind of have to engage all of your senses. And it, it's, it's a sham when our listeners are I'm tired <clears throat> of engaging all my senses. It doesn't trick reality. When our listeners are, you know, frantically working for the corporate overlord, Jeff Bezos, <laughs> delivering packages, they got one earbud in and our dulcet tones are, you know, keeping Talking them alive. Talking about, like, you know, medieval torture. They right. love it. They love it. <laughs> you know, they're delivering a, a uh, 128 ounce jug of mayonnaise and they're like, wow, this really speaks to my experience. <laughs> 
oh, that hurts, man. Yeah. So, so do your fans like request you to do certain things? Not yet. We've tried, but they're we we're open to it. We hope they they do. We have on a good week about fifty listeners, and uh, that's, that's a good that's a decent sized club. You know, that's how I think of it. When I when I see the the numbers. I'm like, if I was performing to 50 people, I would feel fine about that. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And we've got a couple that are kind of like close enough friends that we interact with them. Oh, that's We nice. get feedback yeah. sometimes. Graham, we're talking, talking about you, Graham. Monkey Master. Graham and Monkey Master. <laughs> I was at the Shanghai Club, and it was, it was, it was a new show, and uh, the the people running the club hadn't been told that there was a show, so a lot of people you love turned it. away. Surprise comedy, you love it. Yeah, so it was it was a, there were comedians and somebody's aunt and uncle, uh, and we just did the whole show for the aunt and uncle. Yeah, and there was it was that was pretty cool. Some people love it, some people hate Who it. Who liked it more, the aunt or the uncle? I think the aunt was digging it more. Okay. Yeah. Those fucking uncles. I know. They're bringing our numbers down. I know. I did a show, shout out Tony Peters uh, at Coco Joe's recently, and uh, Tony Peters, love him, uh, kind of a flake sometimes, and didn't advertise for this show, so it was a semi-surprise comedy show, and there was this older gentleman uh, sitting at the bar, and I just started right off... I. I I know that room. I've done that room before. So I just started with like my filth because I know that's what they want. <laughs> and uh, I got this old guy who is just like very decidedly trying not to look at me. Just like <laughs> I got him to crack a few times and then I pointed it out and then I was trying to do crowd work with him. He was just like, st- like he's not watching TV. He's not doing, he's just staring at a corner, just like not <laughs> engaging. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like ignoring you as just, hard as he can. Yeah, I kept just kept talking to the side of his head, though. Like I thought it was funny, but uh, he wishes he could be you. <laughs> I I don't know. There's, uh, I feel like I've turned a somewhat of a corner with comedy, kind of recently, to where like I I really don't get nervous anymore. Oh, that's wonderful. And, like that that happened a while ago, but like it's just like I don't. It's not like I don't care if I win or fail, but it's like I can size up a room and be like, well, there's no winning this, so like <laughs> I'm just gonna like have as much fun as I can have and just uh, I don't know. I, I care less about the outcome, <clears throat> I guess. Like I'm oh, still no, gonna do. Good. I'm still gonna do my best. I'm still gonna do a, what I want to do and a good job. But like, I'm not just gonna do rote material, and if it doesn't land, I'm not gonna be like. Well, I stink. <laughs> like, it's like this was an, a hard fight. <laughs> sure, yeah. That, that's a good way to You just got to be it. loose on your feet sometimes. Yeah. And even then, sometimes you still stink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Last night at the castle, it was a, I have no, it was a weird shaped room. It was upstairs. It was fine. There's maybe 30 people there. I really don't know. It's kind of hard to tell. But like right up front, there was, a couple empty tables and I was like, I heard this, this castle's haunted. So these tables aren't empty. They're just for the ghosts right now. And like that, I opened with that and like that got them on my side, like right away. Oh, so, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, I don't know. It was fine. It was good. It was a good show. I don't know. I try not to put too much importance on any one stage time. All right. Would you no rather how good or how bad would you rather have, would you rather do a show that has 
five people at it, but you get paid $150? Mm-hmm. Or would you rather do a show that has 150 people, but you get paid 20 bucks? How much time am I doing on each show? 20 each. 20 each? I'd do 150 people. Yeah. I'm not that hard up for money, fortunately. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. I don't know. It kind of depends on the situation. If it was like a, like a public execution kind of thing, and I had to be, you know, I would, I would live or die depending on how much I made those 150 people laugh. Oh, sure, yeah. That's, that's probably the best way to die. I think so. <laughs> by, I mean, by that's... Bombing? <laughs> yeah, you and know. If you got merch, you can make your money on that, too. I'm yeah. very much about the money with comedy, where I'm trying to be. Oh, but, that's interesting. But I don't... Obviously, it's 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 not that big of a deal. <laughs> to me, it's, it it seems like a job that doesn't make any sense if you think about it in terms of the money. Oh, it doesn't at yeah. all. But I like the supplemental income. And if a show is stinky, but I got paid okay, like I don't, it it lessens the blow. Got it. Do you do corporate stuff? No. No, I don't think they want me. <laughs> Maybe like Hot Topic corporate party or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You've mentioned doing some corporate work. Fred what's that? Yeah. What's that all about? Oh, I don't. I don't. You know, I um, I used to you know write skits and stuff for the. Uh, uh, actually, I can't talk about my employer because I don't. I don't think I'm doing anything illegal, but my employer is a jealous employer as far okay. as its press goes. Um, what uh, kind of content would you create for that? Oh, it, just comedy stuff. Comedy um, stuff. So like like skits that would be performed at like corporate functions. Exactly. Yeah. To okay. like teach a point. Well, or is it just for fun? I would ostensibly it would be just for fun. Okay. And sometimes I like to sneak points in there. Um, but it wasn't like a training module. Oh gosh, no! I can't imagine. Like, uh, yeah, cultural diversity. No, no. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just for fun. Okay. For fun, uh, do, do you like to keep it to yourself in your personal life that you have this kind of comedic side, or do you do you let on? Do or you, you like the patch show Adams your power? Oh God! <laughs> no, I I don't I, I I don't tell my coworkers. It's um, everyone's having a hard enough time as it is. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to, uh, um, you know, uh, fix them with this. You know. It's a. Uh, you ever use humor on your patients? Oh, sure, but uh, you, you, but just toned way down. Sure. And tied to you know whatever level they seem most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. What's your general age for uh, patients? All ages, babies, All ages. older okay. people. Um, the whole gamut. The whole gamut. Oh, and so you're like a traveling doctor. You said you kind yeah. of make house calls all around Kitsap. Um, not as much for house calls, but I go around to different clinics and stuff. I used to love doing house calls, but uh, there really is not time in the day to do that, that's unfortunately. That's true, that's true. Uh, why did that go away? That seems like it just makes so much more doesn't sense. Doesn't it? It's yeah. like, why am I going somewhere? I'm sick. Like, right, exactly. Because <laughs> there's not enough doctors. Yeah. There's not enough doctors to send them out into the wilderness. You've got to concentrate the doctors in a central hub and then have all the sick people go to them. The issue is that you need, medicine needs to be run as a service, like the postal service and instead it's run as a business, which has never made any sense Um, and it's resulted in some really dystopian care. Um, I mean, right now the system is a complete nightmare, so um, I don't know anyone who's happy with it. 
but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, they, they do it much better in other countries than here. It's, it's there's not even a question. Like in Australia, everything stops at about ten thirty for tea. Wait, what do you mean? Like if you're running doing a clinic, and it's ten thirty, you stop seeing patients. A.M. and you A.M. Okay. and you sit down and you have your tea. I mean, they're not doing this in the ER. Um, I have never worked in the ER there. Okay. They'll stop uh, a surgery to drink tea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not if someone's ac- actively bleeding, but, you know. They'll it, just pour the tea into the IV bag. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> You're having it with us. That's it. Yeah. Huh. But they, you know, they, they do so much better than we do here. There's not even a question. It's, they do so much better that they have time to stop for tea. Imagine. At 1030. Yeah, to, be, to live like an actual person and to talk with people. Why do you think that is? Why do you think America, uh, you know, is seemingly the worst, but um, yet deludedly thinks they're the best? Yeah, We're it's the best. because it's end stage capitalism. Mm. Okay, so it's there's n- it's really all about you know making the most money with the least and by giving out the least, and right? Hoarding, hoarding. Uh, the and, collectors and the of people, money. yeah, the people who make it most dystopian are the, like the drug companies and the the insurance companies who are siphoning the rest of the whole system dry, um, and they have the control over the politicians because they have money. And until we go to a single payer system, it's going to stay that way. And each year, I think this is going to be the year when everyone protests what would, and what they, would but, crack it in your opinion like you're on the inside like what do you think would just like i find it astonishing that it hasn't cracked already yeah i do too i don't even have insurance it's i mean it's it's neither does jay yeah. no yeah yeah it's it's staggering i don't want insurance it's it's not i mean it's i would like to get my teeth cleaned <laughs> sure. it, it, it's more cost effective to just go and pay the hundred dollars to get your teeth clean than to pay for dental insurance. You're probably yeah. right. Yeah, that, I mean, that's I know I, that's what I've done. The whole idea of an insurance model makes no sense for healthcare. Yeah, because we all need it. I I think it's mainly for the catastrophic care where you could lose your house or everything you right. own. But but on the other side of that, my uncle, he got leukemia when he was like 42, oh, didn't have insurance, had yeah. no money really, whatever to speak of, no yeah. anything. And just the state ate it. Just like he got in-house, he got in-home hospice care and the state just ate that bill. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, there's a middle class who gets eaten alive by it. Yeah. But it's astonishing to me how I th- and I, I don't know why it is. You think people will be turning over cars. It's so bad. But I just think, yeah. I'm always amazed people aren't turning over cars, too. I've I've tried to write jokes about this a few times, about how society is really just held together by, like, the thinnest veneer of politeness. Yeah. And it really makes no sense that we're not turning over cars. But, yeah. uh I don't, I don't know. Somehow America has been very good at dividing and conquering the <clears throat> mental landscape of what that looks like to the point that I'm, I'm very conspiracy minded. And, uh, I, at this point it's just fun for me. I don't like engage with it yeah. in like a heavier way, but I, to the point, I, I do kind of think that January 6th was like a mock 
revolution of sorts to show that it is completely ineffectual to even try and that you're oh, that a, is interesting. and that you're a complete buffoon if you do. And so it just like set this standard of like, this is what happens if you try. These people are going to jail. Nothing was accomplished. And uh, it's in, you're a laughing stock. That was an interesting way to look at it. To me, I, I think it's was an impressive show of what it exactly white people think they can get away with. Mm. I mean, can you imagine January 6th, if it was all people of color, they would all be dead. They would all be dead. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think it's, I think earthquake, the comedian earthquake has one of the funniest jokes about January 6th. And, Oh my God, what did he say? Uh, I mean, I, I'm only going to paraphrase, but it's, yeah. you should look it up earthquake January 6th joke. Um, but it's essentially, he's like, man, I wish I was a Capitol guard that day. <laughs> I would have been shooting people, shooting white people on the clock all day. Just like, pat, 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 pat. <laughs> I'm out. Give me your gun. Pat. Just <laughs> I, I think if, 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 it's it's mainly that I think the control of the narrative between Democrat and Republican, which is, has always been an artificial conflict, mm-hmm. it's really between rich and poor. Yes. But people are so misdirected uh, towards, you know, uh, hating, you know, gay people and hating intellectuals and hating, I don't know, uh, um, uh, yeah, people who they see as being anti-Christian. It, it's, it benefits the wealthy and really nobody right. else. But it's so yeah. crazy that just, I mean, so many people throughout history have been like, like, no, the poor people do have all the power. Like, yeah. stop fighting each other. Like, yes. Turn like, but yet it just can't happen. Like I, it works in smaller places like the yellow vest revolution in France. And, uh, you know, f- the French are very good at expressing their displeasure with their ruling class. Well, they do it with such style. Right. And just, I think America might just be too big to have any sort of coordinated front of any sort. Well, I think they've also been so uneducated for so long. They've just been so starved in terms of poor education um, that it's, they're just, uh, it's just, there's not even a a good start of how to to fight for their own rights. It's Yeah. No, the the lower class is too, too stupid and the middle class are too big of pussies to really, well, not stupid. And, uh, we can say stupid. Ignorant. You know, the, 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 our, our rulers are playing 4D chess. We're barely playing checkers down here. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I don't, I've never seen it as stupidity. It's, if, 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 if you take, do you know what aces are? Adverse childhood experiences? Sure. Like, you mean my, my childhood? I know you personally, <laughs> I, I think every comedian knows what they are. But if you, you know, take a child and you deprive them, You're or, aces, you know, starve them or, you know, neglect or, you know, poverty, you know, all those things can literally make a brain less, can make intellect smaller. And I think it's, it's at this point is weaponized being used to keep poor people from having power. Yeah. And so what, <clears throat> what do you think? I had a joke about this too, about how I would get the audience to chant for a little bit. And then I would say that like. Uh, you know, basically everyone should be thankful that I'm not homeless because I, I could use this charisma to turn the homeless people against you. Um, <laughs> but I don't really do that joke anymore. But uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just so much untapped power, but it's just so 
diffused. Like it would be impossible to like get a homeless army that would demand, you know, things. We need a we need a Zelensky like leader. Yeah, me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt that one day I will be homeless and then it'll be my sure it'll be my only mission in life to like raise an army and burn the city to the ground. <laughs> well, I appreciate the advance notice. You'll be fine. You're in Bremerton. I, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. If you go down to Third Avenue, it's pretty much already burnt to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. An even more dystopian hellscape. Third Avenue. Man, downtown Seattle is like, I don't go down there very much anymore for anything, but like it is, it is a hellscape down there. It is not nice. Yeah. Well, after COVID, all the small businesses got... Yeah, Wiped well, out. that McDonald's on Third and Pike is still kicking, and imagine—that's about it. Imagine being the manager of that place. They—they they don't even let people in that McDonald's no? anymore. It's really? just like a window. That makes sense. Yeah, but just like uh, for our listeners not in Seattle, give that a goog. Third and Pike. If you get off of Third Avenue, it's not that bad. Like Second Avenue is no. okay. Yeah, First Avenue is okay. Yeah, Pike Place Market, the ferry terminal. Yeah, well, they got undercover cops at Pike Place that'll just, like, cattle prod you into the ocean. Sweet. Nah, if you go down to, like... Uh, and actually, the big Ferris wheel... Is, like Soto and Georgetown, that's... Yeah, the fucking, big Ferris uh, wheel downtown, little known fact, there's just an army of homeless people below it powering it like a hamster wheel. So they're useful for something, yeah. is what we're saying. We they get, can be harnessed. Yeah, they get soup and bread. To make them wear a harness. And then you just get them run on this giant thing to turn the Ferris wheel. It's eco friendly That's how they build it. It's, it's green. It's eco-friendly. Heavy sigh, man. <laughs> <laughs> These are your people you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, not yet. I'm slightly above them. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> He'll enjoy it while he can. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you do for a day job? Uh, I kill rats. Do you really? Yeah. He's good at it too. Well, that is that's actually is a skill you can exchange for canned goods. Yeah. Uh, New York is hiring the rat czar, looking for a rat czar right now. This is completely real and true. Uh, looking for a rat czar. I still haven't. Are you applying? I'm going to apply. I haven't applied yet. I've written my cover letter. Uh, I have to put together my resume a little bit more but for your photo on your resume could you put a cat i have a picture of me holding a rat smiling oh yeah got it uh i enjoy my work i just got a raise and that makes me enjoy my work even more uh i i do enjoy it it hits pretty much every button i need for a job um the pay is not super great, but it's all right. And I feel like it's a trade. Like I can move to, I plan on moving to Philadelphia in the next couple years, cycles. And why uh, Philadelphia? That's interesting. They got a great comedy scene. Oh, they do really. Uh, way more a, rats. It's an hour. <laughs> it's a way to ba- comedy scene. Way to bury the lead. Yeah. Everything you could want. <laughs> yeah, they got a great comedy scene. It's like an hour train ride from New York, and they got a lot of rats. Um, <laughs> I got a lot of friends and family there, too, so it would be, like, an easier place to land. That would be a habitat in which you could thrive. Except for the weather. I've never lived anywhere before that I felt so at home in the weather, in except for Seattle. 
Except like we we were talking about when you got here, it's like kind of like snowing today. I got a weather alert the other day for freezing fog. I've lived I lived in Maine for freezing eleven fog. years. I've never heard of freezing fog before. That sounds like a Stephen King. It's not nightmare. even real weather. It's some bullshit that they made up. Yeah, there's a freeze. Like what is that? Just like <laughs> now, now I'm. Is that like you you like move your hand through it and it crunches? I don't. I, it sounds terrible, but <laughs> like it was all like I don't know. Uh, every year that I've lived in Seattle, this this month has been four years, and it's the weather's gotten worse every season. Like this past year, twenty twenty two, every season broke records. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, it's scary. Still pretty good, honestly. It's not yeah, bad. It it's a lot. It's a lot better than other places. It's, yeah, yeah, for it, sure. It, this is the best place I've ever lived. I and that's why I don't want to leave, but I know I have to leave. Although oh, I'm just being, being priced out of here, but like, uh, yeah, I don't want to leave, but I need a, I need to move. You need to change if you want to do comedy seriously. You need to change scenes a couple times. Well, that's a, that's an interesting point. Have you done comedy in any other cities? Uh, yeah. Um, I got involved with a Zoom in New York, and then I went up there for a bit. And, okay. Yeah. Which part? Like the city or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a comic strip and Broadway club, and um, there's one other place, and I can't I can't think of the name. I mean, I've I've done comedy on Broadway. Is that what you mean, or or the uh, Broadway club? Okay. Okay. No. no. Yeah, comedy. No, that's that's Jai Tai comedy on Broadway. Yeah, I don't know. There's one. I early in my comedy career, I got duped into some bringer shows in New York. Oh, I hate and, those. And one of them was at uh, the Broadway Comedy Club or whatever. Yeah. And one was at Danger Fields, which I'm still glad I got to perform at Danger Fields. Yeah. I think that's cool. But yeah. it might as well have been. It really took a lot of the shine off of comedy for me early yeah. on seeing that. But just like, uh, they wanted you to bring 10 people at least oh to each show. God. And I was like, I don't know anyone <laughs> exactly. here. Like I'm not bringing 10, but like, yeah. Uh, and so danger fields was fun, but it might as well have been like a Disney attraction. Cause like literally anyone could do it. It took no, like there was uh, yeah. no, it was just money making. All you needed yeah. is 10 people. Not even. You just needed to say yes, and maybe I'll bring people. But then the fat guy from Jackass got up and told unfunny stories about Steve-O. They were just like, one time I was with Steve-O, and like, it was a story about Steve-O. Like, I mean, that's Steve-O's act, is telling unfunny stories about Steve-O. But at least it's him. It's not yeah, someone else so. recanting his uh Wait, stories. the fact that you mean Bam's dad? No, it was Preston whatever. Oh, Preston... I don't know his last name. Yeah. And then there's another like semi-famous guy got up that night. But like there was a guy from Ohio who had a a black guy from Ohio who had this entire outfit made for this trip. Oh man. And it was like he had like jeans that were like bleached on the leg all the way down and then like airbrushed his name on it Whoa. and he had like a very elaborate shirt to go with this and he had a whole outfit for this whole thing and like he brought 10 people from Ohio like wow. he flew them out there or, like what like, he thought this was going to be his big break oh, and man. just like it was just like so sad i don't it's know the high point and the low point of that guy's life oh. yeah uh ouch yeah both nights were pretty pretty dismal yeah 
It's good. You know, before I started comedy, I'd already had my hopes and dreams crushed several times over. So, yeah. Comedy wasn't a problem. Comedy really corresponds with my hopes and dreams being crushed. Like, right when I started comedy is right around when uh, the the meat grinder of life took hold, you know? So you were like 30? Yeah, about 30. 31. Yeah, 31, yeah. So oh. they pull the Band-Aid off. Yeah. So it's, is this is a, an act of despair? No. No, I love it. But it's just, you know, coincidentally maybe. I don't know. No, but like a lot of people you talk to and even like I used to have this idea of like making it. Yeah. And having it be like a career uh-huh. and like my main, you know, moneymaker. Yeah. And... I'm still there for you, the record. You, you see that that's not going to happen for most people. Uh-huh. And then you see the people who like oh, make it God. happen. And God, it's, yes. it's not pretty. You know, yeah, like, that, the internal to be a regional that headliner, uh, that, that's, that's a brutal existence. Yeah. You're like so, fighting tooth and nail to like barely make ends meet and like driving all over creation to do shows for and then, and then someone rooms who, full of unappreciative yokels. And then someone who's like brand new shows up and they check some like woke bingo cards and now they're like ahead of you. <laughs> oh, that's hard. Yeah. We still do it. We still want it. Still yeah. want it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just like saying fucked up shit and making people laugh. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's really That's no going back. Now. There's really no going back at this point. I think if you have to do it, you have to do it regardless. Of you it. have to. Yeah. 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 And my family doesn't understand, but they understand that part that like there is no other option. Like it's like I'm not there is no other option. <laughs> and, yeah. So they're like, they're supportive. Um, yeah. And sometimes they're like, well, you know, you really think you're going to get professional with this. And I'm like, well, do you think you're going to be professional skier? Right. It's like, no, but you love doing it and you would do it no matter what. But if they, but if they could be a professional skier, they would probably. Well, with being a professional skier, like that's kind of. Measurable. Mm. <laughs> you, you know if that's going to happen much earlier. Oh, sure. Like yeah. you sure. have to be a professional skier. Like by the time you're 14 or 15, right? Otherwise, it's not going to happen. You know, then it's just like, oh, it's just something I'm doing for fun. But with comedy, it's like it could happen. Anytime. You know, I know I know people that didn't start until they were like in their 40s, right? And ended up making it big. Yeah. So, you know, you're you don't age out of it physically like you do with like sports and yes. I just, or drinking. I just think about uh, the bar's pretty low. I you like know, that former <laughs> former guest uh, Hans Kim. What a wild ride that is! Yeah, no, he uh, he's made it in the biggest possible way. Tell me about him. Oh, he was a uh, he came up in Seattle. This guy Hans Kim and. Very you know, funny. Very funny, very hardworking, very controversial. He ruffled a lot of feathers. Un- unloved in Seattle by many. Really? Yeah. yeah the, the, the people who don't love him are very vocal. Yeah. Um, but then he left and kind of traveled around the country and lived on the road and did comedy everywhere before uh, settling in Austin. And he got on the show Kill Tony as a regular, and now he's opening for Joe Rogan and headlining all over the country. That's fantastic. So yeah, yeah. Doing arena, he's doing, about like 
10, 11 years in, I think. So oh, wow. it's just complete luck. Just, I mean, he earned it for sure. He's very well, funny, very talented, and like hard works hard. But like his parents supported him. Is that true? He, he never had to like work a day job. I didn't know and that. try to do comedy. So mm-hmm. like that is some. You know that that takes some of the uh, oh he did it all by himself thing. But, yeah. You know he had that, and then he also he lucked into it. Worked I mean, hard. I, I what I take away from the Hans Kim story is just that luck and chance play a huge part of it, and so you just got to keep yeah. putting yourself into positions where eventually the dice will roll in your favor. Well, because what was it like? Uh, Kill Tony. He said that Tony said something really shitty to an asian guy but, i mean even and I then mean, he had to like do something nice for an asian guy i mean hans yes kim was essentially there. even hans though kim was that asian guy that's a bit reductive but yes that is the the essentially what happened yes yeah but yeah that's 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 the lesson is be ready to be that asian guy <laughs> when your time comes to be that asian guy do it <laughs> whether he's taiwanese or mongolian Whatever kind of Asian guy yeah. he is, be be that guy. It could be an, it could be an Israeli. Well, last night right. for me, the headliner was That's a, kind of a Asian Taiwanese guy. Canadian, and that's going to sing it too far. And in his bio, I thought this was kind of funny. Like, also, once you realize that all comedians write their own bios, and then you read a bio, you're just like, all right, just. Like, <laughs> but in his bio, it's he was like he is the only Taiwanese Canadian comedian to release a comedy album like a full hour length comedy album. And I'm just like, I mean, okay, but like, yeah. you're really narrowing that field way down. He won the gold medal, but he was also the only guy in that right, weight exactly. class. <laughs> well, probably that was his point. Exactly. Yeah. But a lot of people won't even think about that. They'll just hear some superlative and be like, oh, wow. Right. He was funny. It was good. It was more of a one man show than like comedy. I'm percent. kind of impressed with the quality of, uh, you know, the, a lot of the open mics around here. Yeah. yeah. No, Seattle's got a great comedy scene. I mean, yeah. and this new crop of comics that are coming up and kind of like taking root now. Like there's some people that have fallen away and, you know, that happens. That's why I don't even get to know people for like the first six months or whatever. It's like, why am I going to learn your name if like you're not <laughs> going to be here in like a week? Um, but once you start seeing people around for like six months or so, you're like, all right, you're kind of serious. About you're a this. lifer. Yeah. And so the this new crop of comics coming up is pretty good. There's some real winners in there. I like what they're doing. Uh, it's good to see. It's I don't know. It's kind of weird being like an elder statesman of Seattle comedy, even <laughs> though I feel like I'm still brand new here. <laughs> well, you're an elder statesman of the open mic scene. Yeah. Yeah. And a little bit above. Oh, well, that's what makes you a little bit above is being an elder statesman. Yeah. You know, we, we're both kind of there and we have a long fight ahead of us to like, you know, actually get booked, paid work mm. at the capacity we want to. Yeah. How long do you take? You think it takes to get there? A minimum of 10 years. Wow. Yeah. 10 years is kind of the consensus. 10,000 hours. Yeah. Yeah. But. I mean, you can get there quicker, but even the 10,000 hours, I think that most people would agree that, like, no matter where you're at, I mean, New York or Milwaukee, like, it's going to be 10 years before, you know, you really bite into your perspective and your voice up until that point. You're kind of just trying on different 
costumes in a lot of ways. I feel that's true for me. I feel like I've turned a corner this year in terms of some writing that I'm like, oh, no, I want to go more that direction. Oh, that's great. So uh, that's kind of fun to think about and just... It takes a while to figure out what the audience wants from you. I would argue that it doesn't, doesn't matter care. what the audience wants from you. He doesn't care what yeah. the audience wants. No. Well, that's interesting because for me, as far as not the material, but developing a persona, it was felt like what they wanted from me. And what they wanted felt like the awkward weirdo that I've always tried not to be. Uh-huh. Well, the stage definitely, you know, heightens. It either illuminates who you really are or heightens a character of that you're trying to play, I think. Do you feel like you're playing the uh, like a version of yourself or do you feel like you're putting on a character? Uh I'm more Sort of both. I think to do it well, you have to do both. You have to know... Um, you have to present certain aspects of yourself. Right. Yeah, you have to take the things that are humorous about you, the thoughts that are kind of like You have to anticipate you, what they're going to think about you. And what do you say? Uh, you have to distill them into something that's understandable by other people. Got it. Right. Okay. But as far as for me, like... I would say that it's a heightened character of myself, mm -hmm. but it's also the more I do it, it's just more me. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's something. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I, 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 I suppose it's, it's certainly a lot closer to the core of who I am than when I first started out. Because mm -hmm. like a lot of people with comedy, I wanted to be that super confident, you know, Bill Burr, Wanda Sykes. Have you tried it? Have you tried getting on stage and just yelling? Not yelling exactly. I just pretty quickly learned that wasn't who I was. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like the audience wants to see something they think is true. They do. Yeah. They do want. If it feels phony to you, it's going to feel phony to them. Yeah. Well, you know, like a, like an acting performance, but true to the heart. It's hard to imagine going up and making a completely, like a character that's not at all like you, but I, I, I'm, some comedians can make it work. I mean, I think you do great. I mean, you're not, I don't read it as awkward. Like, I, I don't know. I wouldn't have described you as awkward how how would you describe me i'm putting you on the spot okay um quietly confident uh you 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 own the stage like there's no like i don't get a sense from you that you're like a lot of a lot of women do this on stage where like they get up there and they just do this mumble mouth like um well um well i don't um, well. like you don't do that and like i think that that's the quiet confidence part and uh i don't know you're soft-spoken but you're not timid you know like i don't so i think that those things work well for you so like you have to listen to you because you're not like you know over the top loud like you're 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 quiet you do have to listen but like i don't think that's a bad thing yeah what what you do is very like uh i would say writerly yes like yes. it's very much like written you can tell that you've sat down and like put thoughts into the pen to paper 
it's it's not really what I would call like a conversational style. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not rote though either though. It 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 started out a lot more writerly, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to make it more of a conversation. It it, it kind of has to go that way. Yeah, a lot of times, like that's kind of sort of the essence of what stand up comedy is. And that's the magic trick part of it. Like it, it is. It is. That's the fun part. Tr- trick audiences into thinking that it's the first time you've said this thing before, and they're yeah. hearing it fresh as opposed to something that you wrote last year and have been practicing for right hundreds of sets i think that that makes sense to me i think what i have the hardest time with is repeating the same material yeah well you should get over that i had a really hard time (laughs) with that like when i quit comedy the first time yeah uh i had you know a few good jokes but i i got i thought that other people didn't want to hear them over and over again uh, you know, the other comedians that I was always performing in front of, I was bored with them. I was like, oh, well, I know these work. This is boring for me and for other people. I have to do new material all the time. And, yeah. and then I just ended up bombing oh. every set because new material, you know, 90% of what you write is is barely usable at all. Got it. And yeah. so, like, when you're starting out just like learning how to do good like yeah, learning so many... learning how to make people laugh and like consistently give a good performance the like first if you only of... have 5 minutes of good jokes like you should ride those 5 minutes of good jokes you shouldn't like be like okay well i know these 5 minutes are good let me do this 5 minutes of stuff that i have no confidence in yeah i think the first couple of years of doing comedy is a lot like going to the gym for the first couple times to where like you know you should do lighter weights and just focus on form and like getting the movements down and just like, so you don't hurt yourself. I think a lot of comedy is just learning like, uh, you know, basic, basic stagecraft for lack of a better word, that uh-huh. just like, you know, help the magic trick overall. Cause like, you know, you, if you don't move the mic stand or you're playing with the mic stand too much or your body posture or how much eye contact you're, doing you know there's like so many like little micro things that like i don't think anything really short of experience can teach you so it's it's, it's, in other words it's like driving you want to get all the muscle movements down yeah you just want to be second nature you want you want to be able to command the stage without even thinking about it and so just like like it drives me there's a couple things that just drive me crazy about like new comics and um especially at an open mic i hate this um the number one thing if if nothing says to me new comic more than someone sitting on a stool and i've been i'm guilty of doing that early on myself but Uh nothing says the mark Marin. yeah nothing says new comic to me than sitting on a stool and just like telling you like it is and the other thing that drives me crazy with <clears throat> newer comedians, we could be, we're at club comedy. It's nine o'clock. The show's yeah. been going on for an hour. Yeah. We're at, you know, 15, the 15th or 16th comedian of the night. And somebody gets up there and 
they're like, hey, how's it going, guys? How you <laughs> yeah. It's just like, what are you doing? It's like you just wasted thirty seconds yeah. of your t- of your three minute set. Like, I, I hate, I do hate it when people do that. Yeah, <laughs> we we having fun tonight. Just like, oh my god. Yeah, you're there to tell them how they're doing. Right. Just like <laughs> as soon as you get on stage, nothing that ma- happened up there, unless it was just like you have to comment on it. But yeah. like, unless something just you have to comment on nothing up on you're the first person to get up on stage like nothing that happened before you matters like don't talk about anybody else just like jump into your material because you don't have much time and no one they're not thinking about anything but you right now got it i like talking about the people who came before me but i've I've never done a how's everyone doing yeah if you have a quick riff yeah on some of the guy right before you that's great. That's fine. You know what I mean? Like that carries a lot. Like that's that's kind of that like observational humor. Yeah, that's like dropping in <laughs> on like a big wave or something. You're just like riding. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that's good. Like if you have like just like a quick like, what's up with that guy's face or like whatever. You know, just like uh, would you would you say you're more observational or would you more experiential? Both. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in between. Is that is that how you would describe yourself? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I never know what to say when, like, I went to a friend, I went to Paul Curry's Thanksgiving dinner and his, his brother-in-law was like, so what kind of comedy do you do? I'm just like, I I hate that question. It's just like, I do tricks with a dog. Yeah. Like, I don't know, man. Just like, I'm just talking about dumb shit. Just like, like, I don't know what kind of answer they're looking for. Yeah. And it's just, it's a frustrating question. So I don't know how to like. I could tell you, I I know how I could answer it, like, but it would be like talking shop. And if you're not in, I don't know if you would like get it necessarily. You know what I mean? But just like, yeah, I just want to like, I don't know, like observational mostly. And yeah, you know, I want to say I'm a, a a dark cerebral comic, but that makes me sound like an angel. No, I I would say that's true. <laughs> I would describe. Yeah, that would, that seems fine. What, what, All right. So what about you? We're, we're, we're going to turn the we're oh, gonna, we're going to turn the tables on you. All right, do it. Uh. How do you like? What do you? How would you describe Jay and I on stage? Like, what's your perception of that? Um, can let me ask you something. Uh, did can your audience? Do you have like pictures of yourself on your podcast ads, or do they not know what you look like? You know, that's a good question. I think yeah. that most of them uh, don't really know what we look like. Okay, in that case, um, I will say that for you, for the listeners, for the fifty listeners, Jack. Uh, looks like a G-man who's closing in on Bonnie and Clyde and getting a little too involved. He has never <laughs> worn a fedora uh, or a suit that I know of, but I think w- the magic would happen Okay. W- w- once once you did that. Um, and Jay, you look like someone took a Jewish person and released them into the woods. <laughs> That's and pretty accurate. came yeah. back in you know, about a few years and they've gone feral. Yeah, and then here you are. Although I will say you have Moses? amazing posture. What, where, where does that come from? That's his job. Yeah, I'm a posture coach. Are you? Re- you know, it's spectacular. I yeah. notice it every time I see you. It's beautiful. It's like ballet dancer level posture. It's it's a shame. I'm pretty good. He helps it, me with my posture all the time. He told me how to like properly stretch my back on Friday, and now it's fine. He wasn't kegling hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> Kegels are great because. It's like no matter what sort of boring situation you're in, whether you're waiting yeah. for Verizon, um, you've always you're always helping yourself, mm. and that's important. 
Let's see. As for description, that's a skill you can trade. Got to make sure you release as hard as you clench. Yeah, that's the thing. Oh yeah, if if you keep clenching, you could actually turn inside out. That's true. Yeah, that's how uh, the grimace happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would say I would say this experiential. you're a little more experiential, uh, uh, Jack, and, and Jay is a little more observational, I think. I think that's true. Yeah. Like, for example, I don't get the feeling I know a lot about Jay's personal life. I feel like I know more about yours, although I probably don't, you know. Who hmm. knows? So, hmm. but it's cool. It works. Yeah. I always, I always enjoy seeing you guys on stage. Thanks. I like catching your sets when I can, too. I always enjoy being on stage. <laughs> is that true? I don't think that's true. Mm, yeah, no, I, I think I've always. It's very rare yeah. that I've not enjoyed being on stage. You, you demand a lot from your audience. I think even even when it sucks, they have to meet your standards. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Jay chastise anyone on stage before for not meeting his standards. No. Well. But they don't get it's, it. It's not that you're scolding them. It's that you're just... I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Thank you. <laughs> uh, all right. We got to wrap this up soon. All right. What, uh, do you have any comedy goals for the new year? Also, it's 420, by the way. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay. Blaze it. Um, yeah, I want to do more um, crowd work. That's the fun part. Okay. Um, it's, I, I, I know what I should do. I need to repeat bits more and I've just started this month, but you, I used to do a new one every week and I think, you know, no one wants to hear my awful rough drafts. Um, (laughs) so I'm working on polishing them more. Um, but yeah, I'm just, uh, this has been really amazing. I don't regret anything and, uh, I just, I'm really excited to keep doing this. Excellent. We're excited for you. Thank you. Do I am I hired? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> start I mean, tomorrow. You basically, you know, you beat out essentially. I guess I don't actually know the number of comics that sign up for club comedy. Yeah. Rick tells me that it's essentially sixty people every week, and like only, double what he puts up. Yeah. Wow. And so you know you're beating out those people, those other people, pretty consistently. So. Uh, I think that bodes well for you, and it's just repetition. It's just getting up as much as you can, right? Definitely getting up as much as I can. Absolutely doing that. But yeah, this is it's it's really been a fantastic experience, and the and the other comedians have been amazing. Yeah, you should start trying to get into uh, you know the Tacoma Comedy Club. Their open mics that's I, pretty close to you. I've heard they're cool. Yeah. yeah, they're it's it's a different. Kind of club. I uh, I don't know how your style would do well. I mean, I I think you're funny. I think you're competent and skilled. But like, they're it's Tacoma. It's it's they want. Filth. They don't want to think as much. They don't want to think. As, <laughs> thank you. That's the nice way to say it. Yeah, they're not very cerebral per se. Can I, can I leave you with the last advice yeah. that somebody gave me? I was at one of the clubs in New York, and this a man came up to me and he said, "You know, are you taking notes?" And I said, "Okay." And he said, women aren't funny, so try to talk more about your vag. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that's the best advice I've gotten. Uh Uh-huh. But, yeah, it's it's certainly given me a lot to think about. 
<laughs> did you talk more about your vag? I after did that? not talk at all. Yeah. Yeah, about it. So I, I've already disappointed at least one of my. Well, maybe that's the maybe that's what you should try next. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not this week. Yeah, or next week, or the week after that. I mean, I'm Stay sure in, in your. I'm going to be doing this for a while, though. I'm sure in your, you know, doctoring professional, you might have some funny <laughs> stories relating <laughs> to such things, and uh, yeah, the unique perspective. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think the world's going to have to wait for that. Okay. It's not just a joke. It's also a HIPAA violation. That's exactly. Thank you. You understand. Um, I tell people that if they want to save money on vasectomies, they should go to an unscrupulous veterinarian. Do you think that that's uh, accurate? Veterinarians are wild. Right. They oh, would yeah. do it, though, right? They, they do they, all kinds they could of still, stuff. They would have like all mob the, doctors. They'd have all the skills and yeah. things needed to do yeah, it, right? And they... I mean, the the few veterinarians I've had, well, actually, I, I can't go there. But oh. I will say there's a, a certain cowboy element mm-hmm. to the veterinarians in sure. terms of the medicine. Yeah. Because um, the animals don't consent. That's right. Yeah, Those they are animals. not consenting to being there. Yeah, but they have they have all the same stuff that doctors do in terms of the equipment. They're just... Right. So if you want to save a few bucks, go to an unscrupulous veterinarian and get your uh, vast deference snips. <laughs> they can do it. They have all the tools. They can. They know what's up. They're probably pretty busy this time of year. This time of year? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And all the antibiotics they would give you would be beef flavored. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. That's yeah. only a win. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't think I took any antibiotics when I got mine done. Yeah, did they give you a little collar to wear? <laughs> yeah, I did have to wear the collar. He <laughs> <laughs> wasn't sniffing around. Oh, man. Uh, why this time of year is the veterinary clinics busy? Um, <laughs> um, I guess I haven't really thought that out very well. Animals getting poisoned by eating de-icing salt. Oh. Yeah. 